Please state your name for the record. Paul Garaki. I'm Brent Simmons. And I'm Chris Parrish, and you're listening to The Record. The Record brings you the stories you should know about the Apple development community. This is Season 1, Seattle Before the iPhone. Today we are recording at the offices of the Omni Group in Seattle. Our guest is Paul Garaki. Paul is a senior iOS developer at Black Pixel, an iOS programming instructor for the University of Washington. Paul, it's great to have you here today. Thanks. Good to be here. I think the first thing we want to hear about is your experience with uh, shipping some code that was out with Code Warrior releases. Oh. Mid-90s, I guess. Late 90s. Suey. Uh, so, Sue Waste. I'm sorry. Sue Waste. Sue waste. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah. um, so at the time, I was working at the University of Washington uh, in an HIV research lab where we had a little group that did... Um, sequence analysis and stuff like that, too. So we had some software goals that we wanted to do. And we had written up a program. So it was just a command line program. And we Wait were... Wait a minute. Command line? <laughs> we were talking <laughs> about Mac. You're on Mac, right? Yeah. OS X, yeah. So. But Code Warrior shipped with this SUE, right? Okay. Standard input-output user exchange, which was like kind of... Like SUE, like the Indian SUE. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. That was... Uh, terminal emulation is too generous, mm-hmm. right? But it just basically put things into a simple text and appended it. Okay. Right. So it was kind of like a process running that could accept input and output yeah. for other kind It would take of, standard in, standard yeah. out, and stuff like that and, mm-hmm. and present it that way. Um, and at the time, text edit, or I remember, text edit was the library still, right? So that had a 32K character limit. Mm-hmm. And we, with the output we were spewing, we were running into that. Okay. And so TextEdit was the, the system. Uh, yeah, I'm text trying to remember. Thing, that might right? need to be yeah. corrected at some point. Um, but there was the text, the text library there had mm-hmm. a 32K limit on it. Um, there was a third-party library out there called Waste. World script aware style text engine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Waste. I can't World believe script. I remember this stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's um, by a guy named Marco Piovanelli. Mm-hmm. And so I had started grafting on and making the changes to the uh, the Sioux source that they shipped with Code Warrior to use waste instead. Uh-huh. Bump okay. into that, and it was we had it mostly done functional, and in the user groups, the Usenet groups for uh, Code Warrior at the time, feeling old. <laughs> and they, um, this was the natural habitat of MetroWorks Ron, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely yes. was, Metro uh, Ron and John Dobb. Oh, yes. Still remember Indeed. them. Yeah. Um, about the time I was kind of feeling that I was getting about finished up uh, on the news groups, people were starting to complain about the 32K limit. Mm. And I approached them saying, hey, I've got this pretty much changed over. Um, and... I didn't really feel like maintaining it and mm-hmm. putting it out there and doing all that kind of maintenance. So we said, we'll give it to you. Um, with you know, Had to go through the UW's technology transfer grief and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, and in exchange, we got a year, I think, of extension on Code Warrior. Oh, nice. Um, and which, which was not cheap. As, as yeah, what did well, Code Warrior go for? At, oh, at the time, it must have been like, 300 a year yeah. or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, you got a subscription, right? Because they, they kicked out quarterly yeah. or something. Some, I can't yeah, remember. Quarterly yeah, quarterly CDs, I recall. Yeah. Um, they also insisted on giving me a T-shirt. So I had one of those digital <laughs> alien T-shirts that I loved. Cool. They accidentally gave me two, and I think I might still have one around. Saving it. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
But so that was the payment we got. Uh, they also then passed it off to, to Marco himself, who made a bunch of other changes that I'd missed mm-hmm. for handling long longs and stuff like that. And uh, then they shipped or they started shipping it and we're getting it all developed. And then I made the mistake once of saying, I'm so glad you're keeping the Sue Wee name because I hadn't named it Sue-W-E for just waste edit. Uh-huh. Okay. Because <laughs> of the pig sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And Sue-wee. the next build, yeah. they had changed almost all references to it to Sue-Waste. <laughs> so I learned to never really Don't point smirk it out. out loud yeah, on those kinds of things. Ways. We did um, that with an Easter egg at Adobe once. We mentioned it, and then I ended up getting the Easter egg. Killer, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so they shipped it for a while, and it was great. You know, my name was in the About box, and I think that lasted through the end of Code Warrior. Um, I was surprised one time to find out that Mac Tech, there was, an, there was an issue of Mac Tech magazine out there that actually used it as an example of how to change over. Mm. Oh, nice. From text edit to waste yeah. um, because it was almost entirely done with preprocessor if defs mm-hmm. um, because Marco had done such a pretty damn good job really of having it parallel mm-hmm. the method calls with just some different calls. Um, so I might still have that magazine around somewhere in the attic. Yeah. So what was WorldScript? Was that uh, a system thing for Unicode? It was – I don't think that it was Unicode at the time, but it mm-hmm. was definitely mm-hmm. – intended to be much smarter about right. the the global mm-hmm. text. Okay. Um, I sure didn't know anything about it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it predated the Unicode standard, but I think it predated it the adoption close. of it at least, yeah, right? Sure. You yeah. know? Like, Could it yeah. predated, predated UTF-8 maybe? Yeah, yeah oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe WorldScript was actually an Apple library in there too, I think. Mm-hmm. Sounds like yeah, it. Sounds yeah, sounds like it was. I think so, I mean, because they've been concerned about it for a long time. Yeah. So was this the... PowerPC existed at this time, right? Like, like we weren't OS X, sure. but we had yeah, PowerPC and 68K. We probably wouldn't have been using CodeWarrior if it yeah. wasn't, yep. wasn't a PowerPC mm-hmm. thing. That's right. Yeah. CodeWarrior came around with the advent of the PowerPC. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I'm pretty sure uh, I must have seen your name then because, you know, mm-hmm. I poked around through every nook and cranny of, uh, of the CDs when they came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like an event few times a year. The new Code Warrior Wasn't it cool when we used to get stuff in the mail and Apple would yeah. mail you stuff too? Oh, we yeah, signed sure, up to their yeah. program. Yeah. Like, I don't know how much value uh, I really got out lot, of that stuff. It took but, me a lot yeah. longer to scrape up the dough to sign up to Apple's program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How much did it cost ADC at that time? The, even the cheapest one was like 500 bucks or something, wasn't it? Like, am I remember that wrong? Yeah, probably. There were two levels at least and, and yeah. one of them was like, came with a bunch of things and one of them was kind of bare bones. Sorry. I just remembered something I haven't thought of for a long time. It was called Apprentice. And it was a series of CDs where some guy, I think in the Northwest, was just collecting all the source code for Mac apps that he could find, putting it on CDs. And it was stuff that you couldn't huh. find on the web. I don't know yeah. how he was getting it, but he would just get like from little things to big things. And oh, I never a CD, saw yeah, that. A few times a year. It was a series. I think it went up to at least like seven or something. Huh. It was great. I learned a lot from, from that. Yeah, more goodies in the mail. So that was your big claim to fame. And then, you know, after that. That was? Yeah, it's all been downhill. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knew about it then. It's all been downhill. <laughs> Come on. Command line on the Mac. Every developer I, I just, used it. I just think that's cool. It's such a, um, you know, it's the kind of thing people wouldn't necessarily remember. And for good reason, maybe. But mm-hmm. still, it was, it was a part of our lives. Yeah. That was, that was neat. You know, 32K limit in text edit seems insane, but... That was, that was a lot of text. I mean, 
Yeah, it was a good amount of text. Yeah, yeah. Why were you guys using Max in the in the job at the UW there? Part of it, I think, was that um, the DNA sequencers were primarily they came with a Mac, mm-hmm. so there was a lot for that. Um, and mostly, it was just the the PI was more of a Mac person, mm-hmm. yep. so we used that. Um, I had actually. I got the job down in California, actually, when I was living down there. Uh, he was at Stanford and had the research lab there, and I got it through temp agency, and it was going to be managing the computer network and um, trying to write software on the side, you know, mm-hmm. in this copious free time and stuff like that. Um, and even at the time that I interviewed there, they were thinking about coming up here to the University of Washington. So. It was probably only six months after I got the job that I moved up here. I see. And started setting up the lab and stuff and running an Apple server and probably about 10 different client machines. And there was also a Sun workstation for a lot of our DNA analysis stuff. And then all the different DNA sequences that we were doing. Right. So, um, and that was good because I would never have taken the job if it had been PC because it's mm-hmm. too short. <laughs> I just didn't have – I never had any experience with it. I'd always been a Mac and Apple person. So. I see. Yeah. So all of your development experience was Mac then even at that time? Yeah. I had um, – yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, back when I was still in Minnesota, I was working retail at a company called Egghead Software. Oh, yeah. Retail software stores. Yeah. Egghead. Um, there used to be one downtown here. And they had a really nice benefit of NFR copies. Oh, so right. So mm-hmm. companies would give them boxes of software, demo software basically, mm-hmm. or allow you to purchase your own copy for dirt cheap, but you just were not supposed not for resale. Um, and so I picked up a copy of Think C at the time mm-hmm. for $25. Oh, wow. perfect. Nice. <laughs> um, and so that made, you know, the idea of buying books to learn about it for the same price as the compiler a lot more mm-hmm. same. Um, Didn't Think C also have a nice reference in that yeah. package too, right? Yeah, yeah. sure did. Yeah. Did that come? Or was I don't it remember separate? if it came with it or if that was a separate thing because I remember also – drooling over the idea of purchasing that at mm-hmm. one point, too. Um, I remember a lot, a, a big, big damn book coming with that mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there was like a digital thing, too. You could, uh, Yeah, the digital was like one a, was... Like you could look up things with and probably better than the current Xcode documentation yeah, viewer. Probably. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... Probably faster, too. <laughs> doing that and then getting the Dave Mark books and stuff mm-hmm. like that and eventually some inside Macs and... Yeah, what was the Dave Marks, that. the Learning uh, C on the Macintosh? Was yeah. that the one? There was Learning C. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I'm pretty sure I had this Learning C++, which was by him. Um, there's also the Naster books. I vividly yep. recall those. Covers of those are were <laughs> awesome, right? You spend time yep. looking at it. My favorite Dave Mark was, uh, I think it was called Ultimate Mac Programming Guide, maybe. And it was mainly about Apple events, <laughs> oh, like nice. of all things. It seemed to me like... He wanted to write a book about Apple yeah, events, yeah, yeah. and you know, marketing said, "Well, let's put some other stuff in there and call it Ultimate Mac Programming." But it was mainly <laughs> it was about Apple, Apple events. events yeah. Apple events needs a whole book, actually. It yeah, may not be yeah. enough. It might need a book. Well, it doesn't need a book as big as uh, Inside Oli, 
book. <laughs> <Right>. Technology <laughs> of the future, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Think C was your first Mac programming environment. Yep. I did some fourth dimension. Oh yeah. As mm-hmm. well. Um, I did a lot of that for the lab for maintaining you know, just lab maintenance stuff. Right. It rings a bell that was Guy Kawasaki involved with fourth dimension or am I thinking yeah. of something else? Was it? I think he might have been like is that where kind he of went early when he left Apple? Yeah, and then yeah, maybe. got out of it. Yeah. I, I don't think I would have brought that up on my own, but it sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, right. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> We'd like to thank Squarespace for sponsoring another episode of The Record. Thanks much, folks. Uh, if you go to squarespace.com slash the record, you can get 10% off and you can build a beautiful website. Uh, you can enjoy their responsive design, their beautiful templates, their 24-7 customer support, and plenty more. But perhaps even better, at least for some of you, uh, you, you could go to work at Squarespace. You should check out beapartofit.squarespace.com. I'll just read from the website because it's a really cool deal. When you interview at Squarespace, we'll invite you and your spouse or partner to be New Yorkers for a weekend on us. Squarespace is looking to hire 30 engineers and designers by March 15th, and we'd love some of your time, maybe even a lot of it. We love this city, and you will too. Uh, They go on to talk about how uh, you'll eat at uh, the Alder Diner and dine in style. You'll go to the Smalls Jazz Club. Check out the new museum, stay at the Soho Grand, get to know their neighborhood. Uh, they also talk about Squarespace, engineered by New York City. Centered in New York's vibrant Soho neighborhood, we have our roots firmly planted in the style, character, and imagination of New York. Over the past decade, Squarespace has grown from a single-person startup to a visionary technology company of over 250. Our growth has been the result of a relentless focus on design and usability, enabling millions of customers to give a voice to their ideas. Our culture is one where creative freedom is the rule, and employees have the power to manage themselves and own their product. It might feel like a startup, but after 10 years of innovating, it's anything but. So they have jobs, right? And they will fly you to New York City and put you up. Uh, they, They need to hire a bunch of developers and designers. And if you think this might be pretty cool, and frankly, Squarespace does sound like a pretty cool place to work, well, be sure to go to beapartofit.squarespace.com and click the apply button. You can't miss it. Um, thanks again to Squarespace. It's really been a pleasure to have them as a, as a sponsor for the record. So about you, your first computer ever was probably... Um, Apple II Plus. Good. Yeah, right. We've got a few, we've had a, a few bond. Ataris and Commodore people in yep. here, but and then Apple II, yeah, that's the way to go. My dad's company, they bought for VisiCalc. Mm-hmm. They bought it for VisiCalc. And then he brought it home. I remember him as bringing it home on the weekends. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. It wasn't like it was a small thing, too. Uh, yeah, right, yeah, and setting it up was smaller than all the other computers. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I... Got the chance to learn stuff on that. Um, did you have it hooked to your TV or did you have a monitor? I think we had a monitor. Okay. So you could read <clears> We might have had it connected to the TV for a little while and I think we got a monitor. Um, then we got a 2E. Mm-hmm. And the... 2E? Uh, 2E? Mm-hmm. We see the seeds. Yes. Um, 
And so, yeah, that was that was actually some of my first programming, even though I don't even really recall how I learned that other than just we, reading the Apple Pro DOS book doing, and uh, stuff. basic mm-hmm. and on the team. Yeah, just the Apple mm-hmm. basic stuff. Yeah. Um, Were you a Nibble subscriber? I subscribed to at least one magazine, which mm-hmm. I don't remember the title of. I definitely remember lots of eagle or elephant discs ads. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, Beagle yeah. Brothers stuff. Beagle yep. Brothers. Um, so it must have been Nibble, right? It was yeah, Nibble. There probably. was one other kind of Apple-focused one that I, and I, just I keep wanting to say Bite. Bite was Byte, definitely yeah. the best Byte magazine. Didn't that kind of go more PC? It was yeah. everywhere. Yeah. It covered yeah. all or TRS-80, yeah. Yeah. which was the equivalent sort of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I creative yeah. computing was another one. Yeah, that might have been. I got a sixty-five hundred two book. Oh, there was one called. Mm-hmm. A+ I think I still have that, and that was just completely mm. cryptic to me. Yeah, yeah. Right. And when they started talking about stacks growing up in memory and stuff, oh, and I yeah. just said, "What uh, the?" Uh, yeah, um, that didn't do near as much damage to me though as C pointers did in college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you ever happen to venture into high res graphics programming on the Apple II? I I may have done some examples and stuff like that, but I never really did anything on my own. I I feel like that um, was what melted my mind as a kid. Mm-hmm. Was trying to, to yeah, understand the craziness of that, that crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in in those days, it was more just kind of going through tutorials and examples yeah. that people mm-hmm. had than really doing my own thing. Right. Um, there was one where the very the very first paid coding I ever did was for my dad. <laughs> he, um, his company uh, was a telephone engineering. They plot and planned out telephone cabling and stuff like that and supervised it. And they had some application that was recording information about satellites and their azimuths and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And apparently some of the data was wrong. So he wanted to be able to edit it. And so I got to try and write an app using FSeq and stuff like that, where I I think back at it now, I was like, I don't really think I understood FSeq when I wrote it. All right, a I don't think access. I really mm-hmm. understood what I was doing in there, and I imagine I might have corrupted the database at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, trying to figure out where everything was, how to get to it, how to figure out which entry to change and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of the extent of my hacking and as well as my first $50 program. Nice. (laughs) Which in today's money is a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. A share of Apple stock. Oh, God, if I had bought Apple stock with that. (laughs) With that 50 bucks, yeah. (laughs) So I still have the 2E out in the shed. I need to find space for that. Yeah, I've kept the 2GS in the garage all these years as well. I can't imagine that any of the floppy disks actually work. Like, surely they don't. Right. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be worth fine. We should have yeah. one big That'd be setup fun. party yeah. sometime. Yeah. You know, actually, here uh, in Omni, there's a few plus that's functioning up there. Let's go play Lemonade Stand. Exactly. <laughs> so where did you progress from there? Was that, uh, did you keep doing it after the childhood uh, computers, or did you move into other things? Um, so I played with it and, you know, played a lot of games and stuff on it, basically, through high school. Then I went off to college, and I didn't really have access to anything mm-hmm. um, other than lab terminals, grievous token ring kind of things. Um, there was some work that I did with Max, some kind of internships and stuff that were mainly 
kind of just using them for the applications mm-hmm. for keeping track of circuits at one company. They wanted you know actual real records of all their circuits that they were doing uh, and building. Um, but it probably wasn't. So even when I was doing the egghead thing and got my first thing C, I was actually borrowing somebody else's computer. And then I didn't actually get my first, my own Mac until I was out in California. And this must have been around 94. Mm-hmm. And I was working at a retail place there that was selling Macs, actually an Apple retail place okay. called, I think, the computer store at the time. Maybe I'm messing that up with the Seattle store. Um, but so I could get a discount, which Apple markups are, you know, it was like $100 oh, yeah. off, right, mm-hmm. for a PowerBook 180. Mm. And that, All was, right. that was the love of my life for a yeah. long time. I bet. Um, was that, so the 180, did it have the trackball? Yep. Okay, yep. Yep. Um, so I had that, and then that was kind of where it started kicking all back in and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I started, I did some side jobs of like fourth dimension for some people and stuff. and Not FileMaker, huh? I'd used FileMaker. Mm-hmm. Um, probably my biggest, the, the most interesting FileMaker thing I ever did was I was working, before I got the uh, lab job in California when I was still doing temp stuff in general, um, I was working in the mailroom at Wilson, Sonsini, Goodrich, and Rosati, the uh, law firm. Okay. And they you know, got a ton of stuff in and trying to figure out where people were on three floors, two buildings or whatever and stuff like that. So I actually created kind of a little address lookup book for them in FileMaker uh-huh. where they had the stuff and it kind of had little ABC alphabet tabs on the side so yeah, they could yeah. just jump to yeah, C right. to find out where somebody was if it was somebody who didn't get a bunch of mail that they knew by heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what I understood, they still, still used it like three years after I left. Wow. <laughs> um, but it was something I just threw together because I was tired of tr- looking in the paper to look it up. Uh, that's yeah, that's my big fascinating filemaker story. All right. So every I time I tried to do something after that, I was like, oh, fourth dimension, forget it. I'm yeah. going this way. I never <laughs> used fourth dimension. I, I, what did you like about it? Um, that was a long time ago, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's why we're here. <laughs> um, Maybe the answer is you just knew, happened to know it better. For I knew it better. It was it was more powerful. The relationships made more sense. Mm-hmm. You know, once mm-hmm. you started to get to bigger sets of relationships and stuff like that, um, it it gave a bit more flexibility. You didn't spend your, all your time just doing layout and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there was, I believe, a pretty big selling point at the time was that I could do procedures on top of it so I could effectively mm-hmm. write code where in FileMaker that was either non-existent at the time or pretty limited yeah, from what right. I recall. Yeah. Um, so it just kind of worked out better that way. Um, I think at some point we also wanted to do client-server aspect of it that Fourth Dimension allowed and FileMaker again didn't at the time. Mm-hmm. So those were, those were the main things. I ended up writing... You could um you could get an additional package for writing uh, procedures and stuff in C and then compiling it down and putting it in. Oh, and okay. I wrote cool. a couple of those, but yeah, that was about it. And you know, for the longest time, people were like, "Oh, it's got to be SQL or it's crap." <laughs> right. And sure. I didn't see that, and now I've 
kind of used to that as well. So yeah, Did that's you do anything with HyperCard? I think I used HyperCard a couple times in college, but I didn't inhale. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I never, I never really dived under HyperCard. It's interesting, and uh, yeah, it's not something that comes up as often as I as I thought it would. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, I know I played with it, but I never built yeah. anything serious or yeah. useful with it. Just sort of tried it out. But then I, I do remember having some HyperCard stacks, and mm-hmm. some of those early Mac games were. Hypercard like Mist. Mist was you know, yeah, right? the incredible yep. example. And there was, yeah. I think there was one even right before Mist. Maybe it was by the same guys that was mm. kind of a clicky, clicky thing. So you're doing database work. Yeah, that's kind of been the running theme. Mm. It's kind of freaky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. So from there, I mean, there wasn't much, there wasn't much in the way of Apple Jobs. I mean, right. outside of Apple, right? Right. I had sure. the time for that. Um, so I ended up coding in Java, doing some Java jobs there. Um, were you doing that on your Mac, or were you using? Uh... Um, so I left the university to go to a um, a startup called WorldStream Communications, mm-hmm. which was. Writing Java networking stuff uh, to at the time that started the intent was for it to be broadcasting like talk radio on the internet. Oh, okay. Uh, it was. I, I think the idea of audio on the internet is terrible. It was founded actually by uh, Ken and Ken Williams. From I don't think, uh, I don't think Roberta actually had much to do with the Bank. company. Uh, from Sierra. Or Sierra, excuse Sierra. me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we should back up and make sure people know. So that was like one of the pinnacle game makers at the time, right? Like uh, King's Quest and yep. all these hugely successful yep. games that were on all the platforms during that time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, the story was that they had actually retired um, and were in Mexico. Right. Enjoying their, their house. And Ken was upset that he couldn't get his talk radio that he liked from back home. <laughs> Jeez. So he started that up. Um, and so I went in with that, and we did a lot of interesting Java stuff. I learned a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I don't Was that know. your first object-oriented language experience? I may have looked at C++ before that. It was no, actually, I must have because I was yeah. doing some power plant when I was at, I was oh, at the okay. U as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, so I understood. I understood it. I understood C plus plus and changing to Java. Part of it, um, I'd already written some Java at the U for actually taking that app that I uh, we used for that that germinated off the uh, Sue waste mm-hmm. and making a Java applet of it so people could do it online and stuff and. Learning applets at Java 1.0 was mm. fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, kids these days. Oh my god, did I just age myself? <laughs> yeah. 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 So <laughs> Java early on, the idea was that it would run in a web page. This was before Flash. JavaScript barely could do anything, but a Java applet, you know, like an application, right? But small applet, um, you know, would load up in your browser and run in a little rectangle in the, in the in your browser, and it was the most awful thing ever. Uh, especially on Macs, because uh, oh, the yeah. Java, uh, the Java support on Macintosh was terrible. It was terrible, and you know machines were slow, and it usually it sucked. 
really bad. Yeah. You remember, but that was the way of the future for uh, the, at the time. During that time, Sun was you know, so trying to uh, promote Java, and they were running a contest for applets, right? They had this big, like, uh, submit your applet and mm. win a, you know, some Sun stations or something that sounded kind of appealing. I remember that's how I, why I learned Java was I was working tech support at Adobe and one of my colleagues was all excited by the Java thing. And I was mm. like, oh, let's do that contest. All right. We made a chess program. Yeah. Play. <laughs> and of course, JavaScript has its name for pure marketing reasons. Yeah. Just to yeah. yep. just Java piggyback was so off the hype the time. on Java. Right. Yeah. Yep. It's um, like the saddest thing practically in computers today that JavaScript has that name. <laughs> Most of what we did was actually the server end. You know, and we did. Uh-huh. We had an applet that was for the kind of control of it, right. and d- trying to have some some controls of. I don't even remember what it was at the time. Uh, uh, some chat for listeners to talk to and stuff like that, as well as kind of hand off the mic. Um, but most of what we did in server, and I was continually actually at odds with everybody complaining about how slow Java was, because on the server end, without a UI, it mm-hmm. was pretty damn sweet. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, other than the RMI part. Um, <laughs> yeah, What's the RMI part? Is that interface native code? <sighs> remote method invocation, kind okay. of just remote objects and mm. marshalling stuff across the network. Ah, and back. Yeah. Um, but it I was had its J- own. JNI's Java native. You had to do this own kind of interface as basically a way of tagging the objects that were supposed to go across, and they had to be serializable and. You had to do your own separate compile time thing, which may or not may not have noticed that things changed. So you'd get some stale copies of the binary. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of fun. Sounds uh, like fun. Yeah, I would and, take a time machine and go back and do that. And that was kind of fun because <laughs> I I'd come across since I'd come across in the Mac world, I actually brought my copy of Code Warrior with, um, and they gave me <laughs> my first day at the job there. They're like, "Here's your box. Here's the disks of Windows NT. Go ahead and set it up." And I'm like. Uh, um, okay, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I put my Code Warrior on there and did that yeah. and had everybody laughing at me. The Windows oh version of Code Warrior, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Windows version of Code Warrior, and everybody was laughing at me because they just did all the command line stuff or used some IBM IDE or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, until they started running into the classic class path issue of just mm-hmm. it being too smart for it, where code where it required you to explicitly point at the jars and stuff. And I didn't have those issues because it was... So you start... Those are the kinds of the ways I start learning things of, like, mm-hmm. be explicit in your stuff and let, let's have the, all this stuff fail early in the compiler and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but eventually I converted most of the people to code warrior there, yeah. too. Um, but... You know, found other things like we had this applet, right, that we were doing, and it was all in the same code base. And the way it got compiled and built out ended up discovering basically the entire code base was coming across to the client. Wow. So not only was it taking much longer to load up all mm-hmm. that data, but they actually had a copy of our server, our proprietary information, <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> sitting there, right? Jeez. So I had to break that out and do multi-targets and be really uh, really disciplined about how we did that and that worked out great and that's shrunk the size dramatically like I don't know 20-fold or something stupid mm. like that yeah um, no kidding so we learned a lot about Java there um, uh, learned a lot about recognizing when a company is a sinking ship mm-hmm. and getting out 
So does that mean you actually did recognize it and get yes. out, or or yes. I got the, out the lesson six months before they went, oh, okay. they closed the doors? Um, and then I went to work with somebody I knew who was doing some consulting on who had a consulting company, not just you know doing his own little thing, but for um, bioinformatics for other. You know, we've got a lot of medical research companies around and stuff like that. And he was he had some contracts with them, and that was Pearl. Mm. You know, so I, I learned Pearl and I learned disciplined Pearl there. And wait a minute, say those two words again. Disciplined Pearl. <laughs> wow, and we have a show title. <laughs> Never heard of that before. Tell tell us more. Well, you start with you strict and you go from there. Okay, right, right. <laughs> um, and. And readable pearl. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, that yeah, also yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but so, like, at the time, he had written up his own database storage stuff, which was some BDB stuff pointing into flat tables and flat files, and started encountering. BDB is Berkeley Database? Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and started encountering some bugs where every once in a while, accidentally, an extra new line would get inserted in the, the flat file. Mm hmm. And because of the offsets, anything after that was unfindable. Mm -hmm. um, and so I became of the opinion that if we're going to deal with bugs, maybe we should let other people deal with it. And so I learned SQL, and we switched to MySQL there. Right. Yeah. So gradually moved that over, did some software for analyzing um, microarrays, and... Uh, using the database for that and being able to map because it those microwaves map things weirdly from the samples because of the way it's so tiny versus what you need for the physical pipettes, right? Um, so that was pretty cool. And that were you able to thing. do all that on your Mac, or were you having to? Uh... That was that was actually running. Uh, we were doing Red Hat mm -hmm. at the time, mm -hmm. so that was also where I learned Emacs. So I'm an Emacs person. <laughs> um, Somebody has to be. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, I can use my key bindings in Xcode. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. point. Yeah, and did that for a couple of years, and then some business decisions didn't work out, and I had to get let go. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then I moved to Single Step. Is another startup company. I've, I haven't worked for any big companies. Yeah, uh -uh. honestly, I mean the biggest thing has been like the UW, and that doesn't really count. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, consider yourself lucky. Right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the UW is probably one of the few that's still around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I worked for. Um, so it's been an interesting experience. But there was this company called Single Step that I ended up working for, which had their own kind of proprietary thing, mm -hmm. and. Uh, what they called VNOS, Virtual Networking Operating System, which, of course, is used. I think somebody else is using that acronym now. Um, but they had initially started out with a technology that allowed you to network controls for audio systems, mm -hmm. right? Are you familiar with their... Story? Yeah, I, one of the people um, involved lives on White Bainbridge Wolf Island. or, or yeah. something mm -hmm. Wolf. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you could... Do stuff like um, track what you would set up all your mixers and stuff in a recording studio, and then when it came time again for recording that, you could it would automatically change everything back again. Mm -hmm. um, 
that kind of thing, kind of like the adjustable car seats in your car, only for a recording studio. Okay. Um, and more than that. I never actually saw that because they'd kind of moved on at the time. But they were trying to do that for other stuff. But they had this visual system mm-hmm. of kind of hooking things up, of feeding in one output from, you know, mm-hmm. a pro- something that processes this, uh, something that would map a string to something and pass right. it on and stuff. Right. Um, but like Max or Quartz Composer kind of? Yeah, it, it was closer to the Quartz yeah. Composer mm-hmm. end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, the way it was implemented, had this weird propagation delay issue, which you could really only understand if you'd done electrical engineering. I see. Right, yep. most people normally yep. are not used to this whole, mm-hmm. oh, you've got Counting two connections like in there, so it's going to take two hops where this is only going to take yep. one kind of thing. Um, and it made it insanely difficult to interview anybody coming in. Because nobody else was doing this kind of stuff. Right. So you're like, can they grok this or not? Um, and what we ended up doing a lot of times is initially they had kind of this under the hood thing that you could drop in a little script um, object. And I think the only thing they had available at the time was Forth. Because right. Because he was a big Forth fan. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen it before that. That's wow. actually the first thing I programmed on a Mac was Forth. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, but they had also just started putting in Perl, mm-hmm. and I ended up kind of getting that to work and compile correctly so that you could add in your own modules, your own mm-hmm. libraries and stuff. And that then pretty quickly came the default way of doing this. So now most of their stuff, instead of actually having the compiled in modules, was either one big module that did a, a big Perl script in mm-hmm. there <laughs> or fed Perl script to Perl script. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of like, at that point, go what? But um, did some contracts, did some interesting things there. Right. Uh, lots of kind of network management. They shifted to some network management stuff for integrating diverse monitoring systems and stuff. Right. Um, and that was about the time that I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I want to do Mac. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so how can I start moving towards that? And that was when I discovered Xcoders. Yeah, so this is uh, when we so met. So we're up to 2004-ish. Yeah, when was that? 2004, exactly. 2005 yeah. in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was looking. I was at single step like 2003 to six. Thanks to Windows Azure Mobile Services for sponsoring this episode of The Record. In fact, they're sponsoring the entirety of season one of The Record, and we appreciate that very much. If you go to www.windowsazure.com slash iOS, you'll see some videos and you'll see me in those videos. And there I am teaching you how to learn the ropes. In fact, it says in, in, in big type on that page, learn the ropes of mobile services with Brent Simmons. Anyway, I'll teach you the ropes or at least the, the easy stuff, the, the way you get on, the way you get on board, the way you can get going. And what you'll find is that the easy stuff includes Cool things like connecting to a SQL database, uh, authenticating users. Um, you can either write your own or just use the built-in Twitter, Facebook, Google authentication. Um, it's easy to send push notifications, easy to create scheduled scripts. Everything's in JavaScript, by the way. Uh, you can do just about anything you need for, for web services these days. Now, if you find there's something they don't actually, actually supply, I don't know what that would be, but... It, there could be some things. Um, 
you can use other of Azure's services and they all compose well together. So if you get started with mobile services, it's not like you're locked into something that you're, you know, that you can't do other stuff with. No, it's, it's totally flexible. It, it all composes. And, it, and, you know, I've said before, I'm sure many times, that, uh, that this runs node.js and you write your code in your favorite text editor, whether it's Sublime Text, BB Edit, Vim. Um, uh, I suppose you could probably even use Emacs if you're willing to try that hard. And uh, that, that's how you write stuff. Deploy via Git. Uh, do unit tests with Mocha or whatever you might prefer, any JavaScript unit test thing that's out there. Uh, there are probably a bunch more than just Mocha. Um, and it's great. It works. It's a lot of fun to do. And if your app needs online services, and it probably does, then this is a great way to get going, uh, especially if it's been you know a few years since you've done it. Things have really changed. Uh, maybe you've never done this kind of thing before. Wow, this is a great way to get going. Uh, so do check it out. www.windowsazure.com slash iOS. How did you discover Xcoders? How did you even find out about it? I have no idea. <laughs> I honestly don't remember how I how I discovered it. Um, I was at home one day and I'm like, you know, doesn't that guy who worked on Sui isn't he around? I think I'm calling. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it was probably somewhat different than that. <laughs> Maybe we're kind of talking about it because we're so familiar with it. But uh, you know, to describe to anyone else who doesn't know, Xcoders is like our local Seattle yeah Mac iOS programming group, um, which got started before I think you know really the sort of proliferation of NS coders and stuff. It was like right, a long sure. time. Right. It, was, it has a unique name because Cocoa Heads didn't exist. Yeah, yet. right. Yeah. Coder, none of those I things existed. There, there was pretty close in time, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For, as I understand it from Joe. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we weren't quite as connected with everything at the time. Right. right? Um, but they started out with this, uh, you know, Xcoder sounds like a great name. Mm -hmm. And then somebody else started off the uh, Cocoa Heads. Right. Right. And then they had the idea of doing this federation stuff of it. Right. right? Mm -hmm. um, and we don't want to talk to other cities. No, that's not <laughs> it. Uh, they <laughs> just they were like, you know, people. we've kind of invested in the name and we love it. And yeah, right. so, yeah. we're keeping it. So it's basically, as far as I know, the same as Cocoa Heads, but we've just never really joined in. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, Flying our pirate flag. So yeah, mm -hmm. I started yeah. doing that. I, th I recall it's had something to do with the advanced Mac book. Yeah, with the Dalrymple oh, right. sure. yeah. branch book. Yeah, yep. like kind of orangey. Yeah, uh, the, I think the, it's the, the same time edition, I started coming to because the they're like, soon. we got a bunch of. We're going to make a big order of the books. Who's interested mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. in getting these dirt cheap? Oh, yeah, I'm like right. uh, me. Yeah, <laughs> um, and. So that might actually be a timeline for when that happened. Um, I started attending the meetings, and I gave a presentation or two that bored the hell out of people. You did one on Pearl, I remember. I, that was my first one, the mm -hmm. three-hour one on Pearl, because, yep. God, did I not understand the audience or how to, <laughs> how to talk about a language in any kind of reasonable time. Uh, <laughs> I, feel, I still feel sorry for everybody who was there. But you know, I kept I don't attending. Remember if I was there or not, so you I, if I was there. I no, survived see, it. I I definitely recall. Well, I don't recall seeing many of you guys at all for yeah. quite a while. Um, I remember P 
people at some point talking about, hey, Brent comes or whatever and stuff like that, which may have just been promotion material. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Name dropping and stuff like that. Get a signature. Uh, yeah. um, and that was about the time when I was like, oh, my God, there are people here who are yeah. making a living doing this stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Our, our group there had always been pretty sizable versus, I think, my expectations. I mean, when mm. I first showed up, I was really surprised how many people weren't just also just casually there, but we're really doing stuff on yeah. Yeah. on the platform for real. Yeah. So I was a little wannabe putts at the time. In awe of everybody else. Who of us was actually making <laughs> well, Olivia's, um, living a, as an Indian those days? It was a much smaller number then than, oh, than it so. is now. Yeah. Yeah. It, I specifically remember you and Gus. Yep. Yeah, me and Gus. Um, I don't really know that I knew Rogue Sheep at the time. No, I, I don't think, think anyone I knew, would I think really, I we were knew so Rogue Sheep kind of focused in the Adobe world. Yeah, when you guys yeah. started coming and it's yeah. like, hey, mm-hmm. how's it going? Yeah. I mean, um, I think our plugins were available at that time or pretty close to that, but, you know, they're... Yeah. yeah. There was... <laughs> uh, mass market stuff. Dave Dunham. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was doing work. Who else? Oh, there's a few well, other people uh, that I can see, but I can't recall. Um, so We had several people from the Mac business unit at... Uh, Microsoft, but then like uh, one of those guys had come over to Omni, mm-hmm. and he was coming to our group all the time. Joe? So we had uh, Joe. Is that who I'm thinking of? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we had at least kind of one Omni representative at right. that time. And yeah. those days we met at the uh, debug. debug, which was the yeah. downtown business users group. Except yep. it wasn't really downtown, and, and it wasn't really business users, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I had a cool name, Debug. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And they it, had a space. And we, we it wasn't there. too long after that. It's in that time frame that I think Lucas. Uh, started coming to the meetings. Yep. Oh, yeah. And so I he was, remember Lucas and Mike coming. Uh-huh. Started Lucas coming. Newman, yeah. Mike Lee. Um, uh-huh. Who else? You know, Will Shipley gave his Golden Brain Burn presentation there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, some Apple evangelists came once or twice. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was fascinating. It was awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Joe ended up pretty much running it by himself and yeah. did a great job, and I miss him dearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As You've far as the Mac community goes. Taken over a big part of his role, right? If not all of it, I guess. I did for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of out of that now. Oh, are you? Okay. Yeah, well. Who's on it right now? Hal? Hal's on it right now. Gotcha. Um, but that was, you know, we, we kind of floundered for a while and didn't really have regular meetings and such like that. And then Hal mentioned something like, I think we can get a space through the UW because we've been teaching there. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, hey, that makes sense. <laughs> And then finally actually got the or- it organized like a week before normal meeting day and uh, had a room, which was a basement. <laughs> uh, that was too small because I didn't really know the turnout would be. Um, and that was like last October. Right. So yeah. that was, it was October or November, one of those. And um, then we just kind of started arranging it and... I started doing that just to kind of get meetings and get presentations going back again because I kind of missed that Mm -hmm. idea. It it, it turned into just being casual socials, which are great. Yeah, but every once in a while, I need to justify Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. time out to my wife. Yeah, same here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She's like, "Really? It's just one of those." I'm like, "Yeah, it is." The next time it'll be a meeting. Yeah. So, but now teaching started up and that is Thursdays, right. which conflicts. So I handed it back to Hal to gotcha. continue on. Um, once teaching's over this fall, um, we'll see. How do you think that uh, the Xcoders group influenced uh, your trajectory through the <laughs> Mac and iOS space? <laughs> um, 
when I first, when I got my first Mac gig, actually, you know, kind of, well, this group, what I figured was mm-hmm. the career, you know, because even though I was coming to Xcoder, I still wasn't doing Mac software or anything like that. Um, and that was, uh, I think it was just the contract I was with uh, Black Pixel at the time. Mm-hmm. It's one of the first iPad game or apps. Um, I, I said to my wife, I'm like, this is a job and a career that's been, you know, four, four or five years of networking in the making. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, we just, we talked it and yeah, I've got to know you guys. I was completely in awe of damn near everybody who was making a living doing this at first. And then discovering that the times after the meetings was really getting to meet everybody and yeah, talk to it. Right. Um, all the socializing and knowing each other was awesome. Um, well, I was just thinking about this recently too is it was at a post Xcoders night at the bar. Um, the Luau. At the Luau. And it was the night before early bird registration for WWC mm-hmm. of 2008. Yeah. And I was sitting there debating whether I should go or not because I'd never done it. Um, and I think you were there, Chris. Seems likely. I, I, I know I Joe was. I, was. I yeah. couldn't remember if you were or I'm not. I'm sure I was. But yeah. everybody's like, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was kind of driven by, oh, here comes this thing from Alaska Airlines saying I can get there for like $120 round trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I bought it. I bought it from my phone in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we were actually up to the bar, not yeah, yeah. at that we, point. By yeah. Grade. Yeah. yeah. And I remember that. Um, so that you know turned out to be the first iPhone WWDC. Yeah. Right. Um, and then I looked and said, "Geez, I just spent fifteen hundred bucks um, on a hobby. <laughs> it's <laughs> time to make that a career." So then I became more serious about it. Um, at the time, I had no intention of doing iPhone stuff. Right. Um, I still have ideas for desktop that I'd like to do, but. Um, that was that. And then getting there, the Sunday night, was this SF Mac Andy party, right? Right. And we go there. And Probably at Jillian's. Yeah. Oh, it was at Jillian's. It was at Jillian's. Right? And you, Brent, say, come here, let's go. And you walk me up to Jackie Chang and Clint Ecker. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's right. Paul Gracky, He's going <laughs> indie. Yeah. And he introduced me to a bunch of other people, none of whom probably remember me. Um, but I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> um <laughs> This this was crazy and amazing, and I since then it, it's completely influenced my attitude towards the community and stuff. Mm-hmm. Where it made me think, oh, all these people who come to WWC and just go to the sessions in their hotel room, right, and don't get this, right, and don't get to know other people and stuff like that, and that has kind of driven a lot of my attitude. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know what I would have done at WWC if I hadn't known you guys. All right. Do you ever worry that uh, with things like Dub Dub selling out so fast uh, that that's going to be lost in some sense uh, moving forward for other people? You know, to have that same experience. Um. Only if we let it. All right. It's definitely something I've been thinking about and working on writing something about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. Yes, it stinks that it's 5,000 people. Yes, it stinks that it's pretty much a lottery crapshoot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but people are getting in. So there's there's still a crowd of people that can do this mm-hmm. and, and can make it happen. Um, just because it's not the same group of people doesn't mean it's – a lot of people think that, oh, if it's not us, then it's just going to suck. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that. I mean, there's the chance. Right. Sure, there, there's the chance that it could completely fill up with schlockmeisters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it's going to happen. Right. Um, and – I, I don't. I don't know where to go. With that the only mm-hmm. the only way that it's going to happen is if people let it. Right. And people say, "Well, I didn't get in. My friends didn't get in, so therefore it's gonna be a bummer." And you know, it's I don't. I didn't want to go there anyway. Uh, there is a natural evolution, I think, of people going. You know, I don't need to go to every session every time. Mm-hmm. I don't need to go to the keynote every time. Um, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I've kind of even already been at that for the past couple of years. Going. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody else would be better off going instead of me. Right. Um, well, I think it's definitely we- a lot easier to say now that the videos are coming out right away. Right. Oh yeah, <laughs> it wasn't easy right. to say before. <laughs> well, we've had some years in which the content was the majority of the content was probably not useful to yeah, those of true. us that are beginning iOS. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a, yeah. you know, it's it's gone back and forth something mm-hmm. like that, but yeah. you can sort and of see. There's definitely improvements I'd like to see there, um, but it is such. It's such an effort by Apple um, that doing this 365, 24-7 kind of thing mm-hmm. is is not reasonable. Mm-hmm. It would be nice if we could figure a way of spreading it out right? to, to not have to be such an event. Right. But I don't know the Apple internals on that. And well, what I'd I like much rather have the opportunity yeah. mm-hmm. to do that than not. What I like about it is it, the entire community has agreed that we're all going to be there for this week. Yep. And I think a lot of people have said, well, even if I don't get a ticket, I'm going to be there for that week because yep. that is the one week mm-hmm. you know, that we all, all do this. And I think it is really nice having that kind of defined week. Now, our community operates great at the multitude of conferences and, yeah. and user group meetings and so on that we have. But having that one special week, the, the Christmas everybody. of yeah, the yeah. Mac and iOS community mm-hmm. is... I think this is a great thing. Taking what people think of WWC as the highlights and stuff and spreading that to all the other conferences that are out mm-hmm. there is awesome. There's so many opportunities for sure, that. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. I think it's happened mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. I just yeah. wish I could go to more of them. Yeah. There's a ton of people I've I've gotten to know um, well through conferences that I may never even run across at WWC. I also, oh, yeah. so, yeah. I also hope that the people who are still saying I'm not going to get ticket but I'm still going and stuff like that are also expanding – the group of people mm-hmm. instead of just hanging out with the people they've hung out with for the right, last sure. five years or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because definitely, I mean, there's, I feel it a lot too that there's times when I'm going, I'm hanging around with the Xcoders mm-hmm. right. at WWC. Yeah, why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Which sure. I love and it's great and all that, yeah. but it's time to spread that out yeah. a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, Paul, if you hadn't uh, snagged a ticket this year, would you still signed up and gone down? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I've, Got same experience, save fifteen hundred bucks. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. yeah. If if I'd had to pay for it out of pocket, yeah, I'm sure. Which is, I mean, we we had to yeah, choose. I guess the companies had to choose yeah. this year, um, and I was one of the lucky people on the list. Right. Um, but yeah, if it were coming from my pocket, I think there would have been much stronger lobbying from my wife about redoing the bathroom, right? Which yeah, is hanging sure. over our head. Right. She's so. like, she's like, you've got the job. You did your networking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'm a little fearful that uh, after this year that, that people, it'll taper off and there'll be less and less people who uh, go down even without a ticket. But Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I mean, my, my goal going down there, one of my goals going down is to meet enough new people mm-hmm. that I don't miss everybody so much. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's not exactly. a complete disaster. Yeah, yeah. Which is easy, easy to do. Right. You know, it's, yeah. There's always new people. Well, and it's it's super valuable. I mean, right now, my business partner is someone I met going to WWDC. Right. right. I mean, Guy mm-hmm. and I met at WWDC, and then you know, going to C4s and things like that. We yeah, sure. Continued to see each other and mm-hmm. and you know discover our common interest, and eventually, when the time was right, we formed a company. You know, so mm-hmm. super valuable. You know, a question we we've asked the next people because I love yeah. hearing <laughs> yeah, hearing what is, the yeah. answer is. Um, you know, what did you think when you heard that Apple? bought next now the next people were all like ecstatic because it meant that next wasn't going to go away mm-hmm. which of course makes us laugh because we're like apple was clearly <laughs> doomed you know if apple is your lifeline then man next had to be in terrible shape yeah but anyway so you're an apple guy what did you think when when um <coughs> when that acquisition was announced i'm pretty sure i immediately saw that steve had convinced apple to pay him money to take over the company yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's one of like, the most yeah. amazing reserve, reverse acquisitions I've mm-hmm. ever seen. Um, I had no idea what was going to come out of it. I'm terrible about the forward-looking kind of thing on that anyway. Um, so seemed like a good idea. Yeah. I Had you fiddled around with uh, BOS at all in anticipation of our I had. shiny multi-threaded I'd, C++ I'd future? I it and put it on PowerPC mm-hmm. probably at work, I guess. Um, that was pretty cool. That had some yeah. cool stuff. Yeah, it did. Um, I'm still, I still, every time I hear B, I still think of the demo with two windows and the bouncing ball mm-hmm. that had the gap <laughs> that you could move and it would bounce between windows. Um, yeah, that was cool. I'd never really seen a next box or OS yeah, or anything yeah. like that in real life. Um, I think so I'd, I'd seen a no picture of one in a all. magazine in 1989 and otherwise, <laughs> like, never even thought about them all those years. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I'd thought about kind of hanging around the UW salvage at some point because they mm-hmm. were rumored to have next boxes there every once in a while. Right. Uh, even when I was finishing my graduate degree there in the mid-2000s, there were people occasionally getting rid of them, and there was one sitting in a hallway with a Take Me sign on it, and I kept uh, walking by it all the time. I'm like, man, I should just grab that. And I'm like, <laughs> I've got all these computers in my garage. I don't need that. But it was, yeah. it was tough. You probably could have nabbed one, I bet. So, yeah, I don't – I. Since it wasn't really part of me at the time, I don't have the kind of next fetish right. yeah, that other right, people do. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I can understand it. It's just not in me. Well, you know, something I don't think I've ever talked to you about, Did was your what did you do in college? Did you study computer science or? I was electrical engineering. Okay. Oh, maybe we have talked about this, actually, now that I think so, about it. So, yeah, I, um, I – had the intent of doing audio engineering mm-hmm. as far as speakers and sound systems and stuff like that, not kind of recording engineering or anything like right. that. Um, and so electrical was as close as I could mm-hmm. see to do that. And I customized the heck out of all my electives and stuff. Right. I did like, I convinced them to let me count uh, communications disorders on hearing thing, um, psychology of and then like a grad level acoustics class. Interesting. Um, and then I finished college and 
said, you know, all these cool like speaker companies and stuff are pretty much small handmade companies run by a PhD um, with no real middle ground in it, or I can mm-hmm. go to grad school and yeah, I didn't feel like doing that. Right. So I basically just abandoned it right there. <laughs> I took yeah. my, my GRE, I got good scores on it back right. and I'm like, I'm not going to go to another school. Forget this. Um, so yeah, then I just kind of wavered around a little bit and have been finding things here and there, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, the bioinformatics thing was some of the most interesting stuff I'd done. Um, combining two subjects I'd completely done my best to avoid all through school, uh, statistics and biology. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's kind of where I learned that the interesting stuff happens at the margins. Right. You know, like software and biotech was really cool stuff. Um, and seeing that there's a lot of people muddling it through. You know, I saw a lot of really bad code and programming in the biotech research stuff. Right. Uh, you know, the, the academic more than anything. A lot of I figured out something from numerical recipes, and it's all focused on getting my statistics. And this fits with the hypothesis I had. Mm-hmm. Therefore, here, let's publish this. Good, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and let's just throw out this data. I saw that, mm-hmm. which actually led to... Um, a publication, actually, a scientific publication there. When I came up to my my uh, bosses, my supervisors, and said, so in this sequence analysis, how are we handling this situation? And they're like, well, we just throw those out because those don't align. <laughs> and I'm like, but... You can do that? <laughs> but that means the amino acids, their actual physical part that ends up in the proteins that you're looking for, that you are now analyzing, don't actually exist in the real world. You're saying that it's this protein when it's not. Mm -hmm. Oh. So we figured out a way to, at least when you're throwing out stuff, you're not throwing out the real world example of it. You're you're not doing your own little mutations here. And and so uh, they call that gap balancing. And... I, th- I can't remember if I actually re- – I think I must have written up like a Perl program to do that, to, to kind of at least do the notation so you could see it visually. Right. But as far as actual coding manipulation, I don't know that we've ever come up with anything for that. Right, right. But, yeah, that's my that's my big scientific claim to fame. Cool. Nice. Don't throw out the real world. It <laughs> seems pretty important, actually. Yeah. You got a question. Yeah. It's like, if I'm doing this, is that actually real? Mm-hmm. Right. You're really going to put people to sleep if you put you, this in your podcast. Are you sure you yeah. don't have a biology degree? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, there was – I started taking classes for it, like auditing classes, and I just like stopped going in the second week. I don't even remember the decision. I think it was just too much work to do. Right. Um, but I got – I had – I found a book that I was reading on the bus that was – oh. I wish I could remember the title of it because what it's – it was like genetic engineering for dummies, for dummies kind of thing. <laughs> um, only it was more than like, it was like that. It was something genetic – basic genetic engineering or something like that, which I always imagined people seeing me reading it on the bus <laughs> were interpreting it as like how to build your super race in your basement, <laughs> which was almost as fun. Well, it's more fun than reading Practical Subversion on the bus but <laughs> nah, yeah. so the kids do, both don't know that subversion used to be a popular 
source control management system. Hey, everybody, and, everybody needs to know that because of versions. Yeah, right. Everybody should know that because of versions by Black Pixel, which is a wonderful app. Before that, subversion used to mean you were a radical dissident, hell-bent on overthrowing the government and ushering a brave new world of wonders. We don't have so subversions appealing. anymore. I feel like I've been doing the wrong thing all this <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> it doesn't pay well. Uh, no, the pay's awful. So your pursuit of that audio acoustic kind of uh, degree and career, mm. is it motivated by your interest in music? Yeah. Yeah, I wanted. I had lofty ideas of like, um, you know, your your room would have an array of speakers that would sense where you are and automatically equalize stuff for the mm -hmm. best, or for at least a uniform sound wherever you are, kind of thing, mm. um, and just quality sound. It's, it's stuff I fell by the wayside right. doing, but yeah. I recall you had a time period in which you were a musical review editor, right? Yeah. Musical is the wrong word. That makes it sound like you were watching uh, performances. <laughs> I, was, I was renting a place that was the lower of a duplex and the guy upstairs um, was in a band and was uh, he, you know, knew a lot of the community and had a lot of opinions on music and stuff and he decided to start up a uh, Easing, you know, a music website uh, called Ear Pollution, <clears throat> and he also knew somebody who was um, running one of the ISPs downtown here, mm -hmm. and so we we worked with them, and they provided all the bandwidth and such, and just started getting you know review copies of music. Then we said, here you need to listen to this because somebody's given it and write it um, as well as write it up everything. Um, I ended up as copy editor because I have this kind of curse that I can see typos out of the corner of my eye. Mm. Um, so I ended up rereading and rewriting a lot of people's reviews, you know, just to make it more coherent and stuff um, without screwing up their voice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, but that was that was another fun opportunity because I got to interview a lot of people you know I interviewed John Flansburg over the phone um, I interviewed a band called Diamond Fist Wernie that was local and wrote them up for one of the extended pieces and they ended up using that as their official bio mm, nice. which was pretty cool um, I talked with people at the uh, record label Northside which is in Minneapolis it does a lot of foreign folk slash punk kind of modern folk stuff mm -hmm. um, and that was really fascinating and, and cool um, but I worked on that for like two years I think doing monthly issues and then it just got to be too much mm. so I moved on you think you'll ever uh, go back to that desire for the audio work marry it to what you've been doing in software for a while I don't know you could build us a recording studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It's I've definitely kind of settled into this good enough mode, mm -hmm. you know, where it's like I'll buy a decent mic or something finally because mm -hmm. it was on sale. Um, but I'm I haven't felt the urge to make music. Mm -hmm. You know, I all through high school I kind of did, but I was more just 
show me the music kind of thing instead of I have a song to write. Mm -hmm. Never that was never my experience. <clears throat> um, but I knew how to play guitar and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Just not well, just casual. Um, I just I love music and I it's you know it's kind of interesting I guess that it's kind of fallen into more of the the community end of it where I reckon I in my mind at least I recognize a decent musician or at least somebody who's got something to do mm -hmm. and is not just a cynical sellout kind of thing right, right? Um, and kind of trying to get other people to pay attention to that and encourage that as well and reward that person for doing it. Um, there's times that in general I feel that my main goal or my main purpose seems to be as a facilitator where as part of like Xcoders and as part of reading blog posts all mm -hmm. the time and stuff like that, I'm like, oh, I remember this. Uh, here, go look at that for it. Or have you mm -hmm. met this person? And that kind of thing. Um, so those kinds of connections have been a much more continual thing in my life without really realizing it. Right. So I don't know. I still buy way too much music and still listen to only a fraction of it. Mm -hmm. the, you know, I end up liking only a fraction of it. Um, but I'm I continue to be optimistic about it at least. I don't think I have the data to actually back this up, but I'm convinced you have the largest music library of any person I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, for a while there, I had... 1,200 CDs. Wow. And then I ripped them all because oh that God. was just too did much. Did you have to build wow. a robot to do that? <laughs> no, I did it. <laughs> I did it by hand. You should have waited until your children were a little older. Stone. Then... Um, <clears throat> yeah, that, that took a while. I actually did it a couple times because <laughs> the first time I did it, you know, like 128K, mm -hmm. right? Uh -huh. And then it got to the point where I'm like, screw it. I'm buying a bunch of drives. I'm buying huge stuff. Mm. And then I, it was at least the second time. Maybe there might have been a third time when I was finally like, I'm ripping this lossless. down whenever I want to. Um, and yeah, and then I ended up getting rid of those and keep buying music and keep looking at it going, I really don't listen to this, mm -hmm. but okay. Um, or there's times when I'm just in the mood. I've, I've learned that there's definitely stages. There was a stage when I was definitely blues guitar mm -hmm. you know there was a stage when it was all the kind of emo rock and that and i can still go back and listen to those but i can't buy new stuff mm -hmm. i'm not there right um but i don't know i think just recognizing that has been a big help yeah gents are we i think we're done paul thank you so much for for joining us today thank you been wonderful to talk to you we <laughs> just love that. It's so sad that you said something. Anyway, listeners, you can find out more about Paul and see the show notes and other episodes if you go to therecord.tv/slash season one.